Welcome back to Philly. Temple extended its winning streak to four and ended UC's winning streak at three as the Owls beat the Bearcats tonight 61-58. We're joined by Bearcats head coach Wes Miller. Coach, what was your bottom line for what cost you the ball game tonight? Well, I mean, listen, they, we shot 17% in the second half, and it's going to be hard to win games on the road when you do that. And I thought we played really well in the first half. I you know, on both ends of the floor. I thought, you know, our defense led to offense, and we got some things in transition, and I, I, I thought that was a really good half of basketball. We were really ready to play. Um, and then I thought in the second half we didn't have the same pop, and, you know, you shoot 17% guys, but you got to look at why. And, you know, you get no pop. I mean, other than I think John gets a layup in transition, Dick dives on a loose ball, flips it to him. I think other than that, I don't think we get a transition basket the entire second half because you're not getting live ball stops, right? So, it, it, you know, everybody goes, well, you shot 17%, you're going to talk about defense. Well, dang right, because it, it, they affect each other, right? And we had so much success in the first half because we got so many stops and got out and ran. And I thought we were going to be able to keep doing that. You know, in the second half, we just couldn't get live ball stops. We struggled to secure the ball and the rebound. Um, we, we put them on the free throw line 19 times. So even though you look and they shoot 39% from the field, think about how many of those, uh, how many times that they didn't make or miss a shot, but they're on the free throw line because we're committing silly fouls, and we knew that was a huge key to the game. So, uh, you know, uh, we had our moments. We had some chances. I wasn't disappointed with everything. Um, you know, I, I thought we dove on a loose ball there and tried to call timeout. I'm, I'm 60 feet away, so I'm not complaining about officiating, but you're up one right there, and then they take it out of bounds and kind of get us on the sucker over the top. And, and the kid makes a heck of a play on something we had scouted that we, you know, we were hopefully should have been ready for. And, um, so that, you know, that's a tough break. You're up one. You, you, you get a stop. You dive on a loose ball and the possession arrow. And, you know, like, I, like again, I'm not blaming you. We might be feeling a little different, you know, if that's the case, right? You know, they foul, you get a chance to shoot free throws, you get another chance to kind of guard coming down the floor. And I did think there were some good defensive possessions where you make them miss and you guard and you're in position, but I didn't think there were enough of them. And then offensively, we missed some good looks. We had some bad possessions. We had some great possessions and missed. We had some bad possessions. We weren't on the offensive board like we were in the first half, which was another way we really got going. I thought John and Abdul and Odie, um, we weren't on the offensive board there. So it was a really tough half offensively, guys. But sometimes that's not just about offensive execution. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. I thought their perimeter players were large. They were tall. It's some of the best, the tallest you've faced all season long. But more than that, it seemed like in the second half, the more you guys started to miss shots, the tighter their defense became. And it seems like they didn't let you get any of the shots that you guys would normally get. They really gave guys like Jeremiah Davenport, guys who can't create their own look, they really gave them fits. And part of why they had the shooting night that they had. Yeah, again, I give them credit, right? I thought in the first half there was moments that was hard in the half court to score, and I thought we kind of found something yeah. attacking, sharing, shot faking. I mean, Jared had to shot fake in front of their bench, and, like, they go flying, and we get a wide-open shot for, for Shuey. And, you know, Jeremiah, you know, Dave tri dribble pitch, and Jeremiah shot fakes, and they go flying, and one dribble he makes a three. Like, I thought we kind of found something because they were so aggressive. And then I start, thought to start the second half, the referees kind of penalized them for that aggressiveness, so there was a ton of fouls on the ground, and you're thinking, okay, it's going to soften us up a little, soften them up a little bit. And I th again, uh, I think we're going to go back and watch the tape tonight, Terry, and we're going to see some wide open shots. I mean, yeah. you know, Mason Madsen has a wide open one in right. the left corner. Uh, uh, Micah has one here on the right wing. Yeah, uh, uh, Hayden gets a wide open one there, and we were. We were down three, I think, on that second to last offensive possession. I mean, you're you're going to see that there was some. We get a 
Shuey misses a layup, right? I mean, uh, Hayden has the layup on the drop-off, which I thought was a great possession. Um, you know, so, so like, you're going to see some opportunities and give them credit for making plays, and then you're going to see some possessions where we're broken down and we just can't break them down. So I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I will say this. If you get live ball stops and run, your offense is going to have a little bit more juice and pop to it, and we did not do that in the second half. So I think, you know, that's just who I am. I'm always going to think about who we are defensively first and on the boards, and I didn't think we did our job there. You have uh, media obligations and a plane to catch, so we'll let you go. We appreciate you coming out. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Coach. 61-58, Temple defeated Cincinnati tonight. We'll take a timeout. Our postgame coverage will continue in just a bit. This is Bearcat Basketball presented by RNL Carriers on News Radio 700 WLW. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? It's still a great day <laughs> to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. You know, it's it's tough. Always, you know, you just got to say it. It doesn't matter, win or lose. It's always a great day to be a Bearcat because we have history, we have pride, but we no longer have a winning streak over Temple. We went into a a place that probably holds, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand people. Probably had like two hundred. 202 people max in the gym and we blow a 14 point lead uh in a game that yeah i think it's called this my overreaction but uh, a must-win game in terms of our our march towards march madness not being a true bubble team um i think you you, you posted this earlier that we were on the last four out Next four. The, we're next the next four out. The next four out. We're we're a bubble team. We're a bubble team heading into this game. It's way too early to call anything a must win. There are plenty of opportunities Bring on the better. schedule <laughs> to get wins. I would say if you're projecting out based on what games were favored in, what games were not favored in, yeah, this game made a hell of a lot of sense to win. And I would say halfway through the game with a 12 point lead at halftime, did the, the did the lead actually balloon to 14 points? I remember it being 12. Yes, it did. It did balloon to 14 at one point. Um, look, this was an incredibly winnable game. And as we talk about it here emotionally after the fact, having lost 61-58 at the hands of Temple, one of your favorite arenas to play in, a school that you truly love and you speak about fondly every time we record a podcast. Um, this team also didn't have its, you know, leading score. Like this isn't, this isn't a potent offense. It's not a team that should be able to do what they did to the Bearcats. And in the second half, I would say that if we really chalk up what happened in this game, it pretty much starts and ends with what happened in the second half. The Bearcats went completely cold from the field. Uh, we just got done listening to Wes Miller's post game show. If you're listening to this podcast after the fact, not live, uh, you will have heard those comments at the beginning of the episode. And, and Wes Miller points out that the team shot 17% in the second half of this game. Um, it was even worse from three-point land. Layups were not finished. Missed three, uh, Wide open threes were missed. And uh, here we are left with a, a very deflating loss at the hands of Temple. 
Oh, Wes Miller in the post game, you know, pointed out that we shot 17% in the second half, that we didn't have live ball stops. And we know that this team is better when it's playing faster. When, when you slow us down and we we're playing full, full court um, offense, it, it tends not to go well for the, for the cats. And I think that's really what we saw in the second half. Uh, there was just, it, it got sloppy uh, from that, from that perspective. So when we, when we go into that mode and we're slowing down the game like that, it's just, it's not going to go well for us. And then on top of that with Jeremiah Davenport, you know, he, he looked like a very, he looked like when James Harden has a very bad night, right. And he shoots 15 times and makes three of those shots. Uh, that, that that's James Harden's typical bad night here. Uh, Davenport went three for 14 from the field. Spoken Ice like cold. a true spoken, like a guy who lives in Brooklyn and is, is living <laughs> and breathing and dying with every Brooklyn Nets basketball game. I thought you were a Sixers fan. What are you doing? I am, but I happen to, every time I go to the Nets games, uh, I just, I just basically, you know, excuse my language here, but shit on James Harden to the locals around me, uh, you know, without any regard for my own safety. <laughs> Look, we've been on a run where Jeremiah Davenport giveth. There's also the flip side of that, which is Jeremiah Davenport taketh away. And that's what happened tonight. Uh, the shot selection all season, we've kind of, you know, I, there, was a, there was a moment in this game when the announcer was describing a shot Jeremiah Davenport took. And he said something along the lines of, I like that. I think like that's the, that's the epitome of Jeremiah Davenport's shot selection. He is a flamethrower at times. He catches fire and you don't know when it's going to happen, but when he does, he will be transcendent on the offensive end. He will rain three pointers from the heavens. And then there are games like tonight when the shot is not falling and he goes two of 10 from three, three of 14 from the field. And just simply can't get it going. And then there's a lot of frustration on what's happening, what's happening defensively and the obvious inconsistencies that are coming from the officials. Um, you know, Wes Miller, nobody wants to blame the officials. We do a great job, I think, on this podcast, not harping on them. It was it was inconsistent at best. It was rough to Keep watch. Going. Keep going. I've, I've never heard you get into officiating this way. So go. Let's I'm just give I'm not your gonna, best rant. <laughs> I'm not going to go much harder on it, but I will say it was it was poor enough that I had to pre-screen a tweet that I wanted to send out about the officiating. And it had specifically to do with Doug Sermon. <laughs> I shot that down. I was like, that's a little too graphic. Uh, yeah, it was, it was way too graphic. <laughs> I'm not a huge South Park guy. I just know of an episode where there was a lot of self-pleasure. Cream freeze. Cream freeze. It was the cream freeze episode of South Park. Randy Marsh in front of his computer and he's asking if, if Doug's out there searching his own name. <laughs> yeah, well, not, not that if he's searching his own name. Doug is leaving this game, going to the hotel, airplane, whatever it is. If it's the airplane, he's getting himself a double, and he's pulling up Twitter. He's buying the internet. I, I'm assuming it's not complimentary anymore. And he is searching his name on Twitter, and he's seeing all the mentions from Bearcat fans, every single one of us, and he is just splooging all over the place. Uh, with glee i'll leave it there it was bad uh, i'm glad it's over i'm glad i don't have to watch that officiating anymore but that said there were clearly plenty of things the bearcats could have done in this game to actually pull off a victory um, it's been a theme of sorts we have a very small backcourt right david julius micah adams woods um, mike saunders jr these are guys who don't have tremendous size mason madsen another smaller guard and so 
when you get in the paint and you're playing against a bigger backcourt, like in the case of Temple, uh, with frontcourt players who are contesting and with officials who are letting a physical game happen, what we saw was something that has happened before this season, which is a struggle to finish in the lane. And we saw missed layups. Uh, we saw careless and, and kind of soft ball handling in the paint or careless turnovers in the paint. And uh, I think it really bit us you know, in the ass down the stretch of this game uh, because we, you know that three-pointers aren't always going to go in, right? We've been on a hot streak. We went 7-33 to 33 tonight, 21%. That comes and goes. We've got to find a way to score more efficiently at the rim and create easier looks down the stretch of these games. I think one of the other issues we saw too is from a bench point perspective, 11 points off the bench. You know, when, when you don't have a guy like Jeremiah Davenport you know, being the hot hand that he's been lately, you're, you got to have some points from, from our backup players. And, you know, Mason Madsen hit some big shots, uh, but you kind of alluded to it. Saunders, what, you know, failing the finish. Koval wasn't, you know, and I know the one of the shots was the last. He's not the person you want taking that last three, by the way, right? Or is he? He's hit some clutch shots. I mean, if it's a wide-open three-pointer, I'm kind of fine with the shot. I, I would much rather him taking a wide-open three than I would him trying to finish in the lane. That is not his comfort zone. So when we did run a play that resulted in him getting blocked by the other team's point guard, uh, flashbacks to Rick Smith's Charlie Ward circa like 99. I'm not a fan of that. Like that's not the moment to, uh, or that's not the the best situation to put Hayden Koval in. Hayden Koval. Uh, Isn't in. that funny? You're, you're talking about our, our like what, seven foot center. <laughs> We're okay with him shooting three pointers, but not finishing at the rim. <laughs> That's his game. That's his game. And and here's kind of the a kryptonite of sorts for the team. And it's why we put an unfair burden on our backcourt this season. We kind of live and die with David DeJulius and Jeremiah Davenport. And can John Newman knock a few shots in? Can can Micah Adams Woods have a hot shooting night? There's not a rim presence on this team that can consistently deliver night in, night out. Uh, we saw an, an early moment in this game, or it was maybe early in the second half, but Victor Locken caught a pass at the rim. It looked like he almost could have dunked it or at least caught it and laid it in before even coming to the ground. Instead, he came down, got stripped, and it was kind of a microcosm for what's happened this season to us in the lane with our big men. There's just not a consistent threat down there, not in terms of posting up. I'm not expecting these guys to like go back to the basket a la... Joel Embiid or or prime Zach Randolph or anything like that. I'm I'm talking about setting setting a screen, rolling or grabbing an offensive rebound and having the strength and hands to go back up and finish in the paint. And we don't have that consistent presence down there. And so it is an, an unfair burden that that rests on the shoulders of primarily David DeJulius, Davenport, Adams Woods. I mean, those are the guys that we really lean on to find ways to get buckets. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, I feel like this one's easy. It was easy to pinpoint when the loss because the second half was just so bad. Like it was so bad. We had multiple stretches of four minutes plus not scoring it, not scoring the basketball. You know, when you have that multiple, it was just all around, it just looked flat. And it's so it's, I don't know if I'm the, I guess maybe I got my anger out earlier in the, earlier in the half just because you guess you felt it. I think I text you halfway through. I think this might turn into a therapy session. Um, you, you just had that feeling. I, I don't know what it was about this game. It's just they, nothing, nothing was being hit. And uh, I almost just want, don't want to talk about what they did bad because it was just, it's like, just wash myself of this. 
because you got East Carolina coming up and man, we're sitting at six in this conference. Well, right? it's early. Like this is, so this is what we we're kind of halfway do. through, I, right? We're halfway through. I do agree with you that we don't need to harp on kind of the misdeeds of this game beyond what we've already done. Like it's kind of obvious what happened. We missed a bunch of shots. We missed layups. We missed threes and we didn't execute in the second half. The last thing I want to say before we move on to the big picture of this team and why I'm going to caution all of you to, to, you know, full, go full lemming and jump off a cliff after this game. David DeJulius down the stretch of these games, when the, when the Bearcats did have a lead that was seven points and then five points and then four points, we failed to get the ball in David DeJulius's hands. We failed to get the ball in his hands in time, right? We finally did. And he drew two different fouls on three pointers. He got into the lane for a nice little cheeky pull up. Um, you know, he missed a step back three at one point. He missed the floater, obviously, that would have tied the game at one point. When we are struggling to, to generate offense, when the Bearcats are struggling to put the ball in the hole, we have to find a way to make sure that he is touching the ball on every single possession. We cannot have a situation like we had where the lead is evaporating from nine to eight to seven to five to four to zero without the offense running completely through David DeJulius. He is the guy who can create his own shot on this team. Probably the only guy on this entire team that can consistently create his own shot. And from that, we know that he can also be a playmaker. So my only gripe, if I'm talking strategy and talking execution down the stretch, beyond shot making, it's just make sure we get the ball in this guy's hands and let him be the decision maker. Um, he's not a scorer as prolific as Jaron Cumberland but he is in the same mold of a guy that you could put it in his hands and he's going to make something happen. He's the closest thing we have this season to a guy who can just quote unquote, make something happen at the end of a game. Well, the other thing we were missing in this game, I don't want to harp on it, blah, 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 rebounding. I feel like that's like when we have the crutch of the rebound, those are the games that we're getting absolutely destroyed in, in te against teams that we shouldn't. Uh, you, you got John Newman, the third, leading the team tonight with nine rebounds, five offensive boards. He had over a third of the team's offensive rebounds. One, one man, you know, you got to see some of these big guys getting in there and getting more offensive rebounds. Like you're, you're six foot eight, you're seven feet, seven foot tall, get in there and rebound basketball. You know, this was a game where we were talking about this beforehand, asking what should we do for the betting lines on this game? You know, you see sitting at, at a minus three and, you know, favored by three and a half to win this game. The over-under, I think, was a 164. But you had brought up the point that Temple doesn't really finish around the rim too well. They don't shoot three-pointers that well. But that's something that we excel at. Well, look, look at their stats. Three for 14 from three-point land. Yeah, they, they, they're not a very good three-point shooting team. That held up. Uh, field goals, we held them to 39.9%. So if this game was completely in reach. We held them in check to what we should have done. It's just it was we didn't show up on offense at all. And I just, I think it just comes down to long story short, we have to find a way to keep the tempo going. And I think you're perfectly right. If that means getting the ball into DeJoyce's hands more, if we're going to be stuck in the half court. I also think though, there needs to be a way to get John Newman more involved on that front as well. Not necessarily running the offense through him. That's not what I'm suggesting, but he does bring some sort of an energy, a passion, uh, some leadership to the court where get him involved. 
you know, get him in there, get him to fin- you know, around the rim. He has the ability to finish down there and just let him run loose. Uh, uh, I don't know. This game just pisses me off the more I'm thinking about it. <laughs> it's just a wasted opportunity. Um, Wes Miller was really harping on the defense. He's cut from the same cloth as Mick Cronin, where no matter what happens in the game, we can lose a game 61 to 58, and he's going to find a way to blame the defense. And I understand it to an extent. You know, he's saying in the second half that we, you know, we're not creating enough live ball turnover opportunities to then get out and run and get in transition, which kind of pumps up and inflates our offense. The reason our numbers have been so good offensively is largely, in my opinion, due to an increase in pace. And when we don't get that pace, if we live in the half court, we're going to continue to be an inefficient team that does struggle to score the ball. There's basically one, maybe two options on what to do when we get in those situations. But when we're flying around the court, when we're running up and down, all of a sudden, Jeremiah's threes are more open. Mason Madsen's getting some open threes. Mike Saunders Jr. is either flying down the court, getting a layup, or he's gotten so much better at at finding an open shooter. So I think it's very clear that this team should play as much transition basketball as possible. But you make a great point that it's not just getting the stop, it's then also securing the rebound. There was a series of plays in that second half where it felt like Temple got six, seven consecutive offensive rebounds. I'm, I know I'm exaggerating. I don't know the exact count, but the last time I felt that way of a team just kind of getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to try and put us away, the last time I felt like that was at the end of the Tulsa-Cincinnati Bearcats football game when Tulsa had eight consecutive plays to attempt to tie the game uh, and potentially upset our run to the college football playoff. This didn't have that type of stakes. It doesn't have that type of implications, but in terms of what we are allowing to happen there, where the team is just physically dominating us on the boards and we're not securing the ball, if we're not securing it, we're not getting out and running and we're not getting out and trying to get points in the other direction. So there has to be a continued effort to somehow make this team better at rebounding. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen because the guards are small and we don't have elite rebounding bigs. So there's not necessarily a magic fix there. Well, with the offensive rebounds, you know, we were, we basically were tied with them 13 to 13. So yeah, there might, you know, seem like a, a play where they were getting multiple opportunities. It's a defensive rebounding where we got really just, we got pummeled. Uh, and if you go and look at how many shots we had compared to them, we took 12 more shots than, than Temple did. So it would suggest that we were trying to play at a little faster pace. It's just, we weren't grabbing the rebounds on our misses and we, we did miss a lot. We shot 30% today, less than 30%. Uh, so the defense, the rebounding has to improve, especially if this team wants to to continue winning. Because this, like, you're right, this is way too early to say this is a, a must win game. But we're looking at that stretch that we talked about with Tulsa, with Temple. You got East Carolina, but then we're we're going away uh, home the Memphis and Houston. So we got two pretty tough games coming up. And you know, you would have liked to have the stretch of of beating these easy teams to to give you a. a What's, what do you like to say to the buy a loss? If you would, if you, if you end up dropping, dropping one to Houston, which is completely acceptable, it's completely expected, but you, you know, there, I think we have a chance to win that game. They're not infallible, but you kind of buy the loss, right? You're, you're allowing yourself to buy a loss or you're allowing yourself to buy a loss later in the season when you inevi- inevitably drop one, to South Florida, right? Like that, that's, I just, right. I don't no. know. I'm just, no, no, it's not allowed. Do not manifest but, that. <laughs> you're allowing yourself to buy a loss later on down the road when you're sitting around as a bubble team 
on the on the I can't I don't know what the heck you call it. The next four out. It's we're uh, bubble team. We're, we're a straight up bubble team, and that's what we were heading. But we're now into we're, the we're on the we're on the side of the out of the bubble. We were already on the bubble though. We weren't in the tournament. We have to play our way into the tournament. That still is the case today, right? That doesn't change. The great thing about basketball is this isn't football, man. We can lose a game, even games we weren't supposed to lose, and still potentially play our way in. It gets more and more difficult. It gets less and less likely when you lose to Temple or when you lose to Tulane or when you lose to Monmouth. Each of those losses does make it more improbable unless the Bearcats start winning some games that maybe people don't think they'll win. When Houston comes to town, that game becomes much more important. It becomes the kind of game that if you really want to talk about making a run and actually making the tournament, which Let's face it, the odds are stacked against us, and it's probably not an un it's probably an unfair expectation to have for this season's team. I definitely think it's in play. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities. And I think it's something they should strive for. But, you know, if it doesn't happen, it's not like, you know, Rome is crumbling. That's not what we're saying. But it does, we are in a situation where with games against Houston, two That's games. That's what against I'm saying, Houston, man. Rome is crumbling. Rome is crumbling <laughs> with this loss in Philadelphia. All right. The they have all these like brick roads, old brick roads there, and we're in a rickety wagon, and we just chipped the wheel, and and it's getting ready to tumble over. We're we're going off the cliff. <laughs> I mean, it felt like that maybe twenty minutes ago for me. I've, I've kind of I've been able to dial it back with the with the three game run we were on. Honestly, more than that, going back to SMU, SMU, Memphis, East Carolina, Wichita State, and then Tulsa. We saw a lot of very positive steps forward. I think despite a what sounds like a very sloppy first half, when you go into halftime with a 12-point lead, you can be pretty happy with that. We closed the half incredibly well. This second half against Temple was just, a, you know, it was as it was the most catastrophic half of bas- basketball that we've had since that two-lane first half. So as those become less and less frequent, if this team can continue putting two halves together, They are able to compete and beat anybody in this conference. And I include Houston in that, not as a a sign of disrespect, but as a just chalking it up to, I'm sorry you've sustained so many injuries. And I'm not not willing to to say that my team can't pull off the upset against you guys on our home floor um, when you're missing a Marcus Sasser, when you're missing Mac. And um, maybe that's delusional. It, It very well could be. But I, I have to think that this team, with the health we have, thankfully John Newman is still playing basketball. Victor Locken is back. You know, the team is healthy enough to, 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 to still rip off some victories here and put it together. It's just, man, like, what is West? You, just don't, you gonna- just don't want to see it. You just don't want to see it because this is the, that this second half is the manifestation of what, if this team, if it goes south, this is what you see. Like, this is the manifestation of the worst basketball that I think we've seen from the Bearcats in this half, right? And that's that's where we – it's like taking that step back. You've seen so many of these games recently, and you're 100% right when you're saying, let's go back to SMU, right? We felt really good after SMU, a solid win. You know, we own, own them uh, thoroughly. Even the loss to Memphis didn't feel that bad because the offense was still – Awesome. We just we didn't show up for defense. It felt worse after the fact when Penny Hardaway started dropping game <laughs> after game and then threw a temper tantrum to the media. That's when that that's when that loss started feeling worse. Exactly. And so it still felt like it felt good going into the even these last three games 
you know, Wichita State, obviously a tough game, road game, pulling that out. But the offense was still clicking. This wasn't a regression to the mean. It was literally playing to the bottom of the offensive statistical categories. That's why I think this stings so much. So when we bounce back inevitably against East Carolina, you know, I'm hoping we 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 actually not regress, but what's the opposite word of regress? We're we're gonna we're gonna rock it back to the back to what's been our average and being the fourth most efficient offense in this conference. Yeah, we're somewhere in the middle. You know, we're we're not one of the best offenses in the conference, but we were clearly better than what we played early in the season because West Miller has started adopting a faster pace. I'd be curious, and I think this is sort of the the West Miller evolution of sorts. And and we had the same gripes about Cronin. Like when you have a coach who is as dialed into defense, rebounding, and effort as he is, it does sometimes get frustrating. Like, hey, but we also need to find a way to score a bucket when we see a lead evaporating, and the team is is sucking wind to maybe get to sixty points, and that's where it's just. West Miller making slight adjustments to make sure the team does get David DeJulius the ball in the right spots when things are extremely tenuous. You know, make sure the right players are getting the ball. Stop momentum if you have to. Um, and all of that, all of that's to say, like, all the things West Miller could have done differently. Um, you know, I was kind of curious as to why Abdullah Du is on the court in that final play when we need three points. And I'm sure it's for screen setting, but you've got two seven footers on the court at that point. The ball is inbounded to Abdullah Du, who's a guy who can't do anything at that point. Like he can't shoot. He's not an elite passer. He's not a bad passer either. He actually did do a good job finding Koval. I just think, you know, like, can we get Were you screaming get- in your, we were screaming in your head when he got the ball, right? You're like, why does he have the ball with 4.9 seconds left? Well, the internal screaming happened when I saw him on the court because I had a feeling, well, they can sag off him and they can easily make him the guy that's inbounded the ball. And he doesn't need to be, you don't need to help to him, right? He caught, he caught the ball inside the three-point line. Um, those are the kind of like weird, you know, quirks that I'd like to see kind of Wes Miller work through. It probably, in my mind, would have been a better idea to have more shooters on the court. But, you know, he has his reasons and I'm sure I'm sure they're they're justifiable. I just think there needs to be continued evolution offensively so that this team isn't so reliant on did the three-pointer make or miss. Can we generate some simple, easy looks through a strategic offense that's ball movement, motion, and, and quick passes? Can that happen? All right. I feel like we're beaten. we've beaten this game, the, the drum. The horse is dead. The horse is dead. We killed it's it. shot. It's killed. It, the head is sawed off. It's in John Brandon's bed right now. I want to talk about something way more fun, and that is Maryland. Maryland basketball and Justin Williams <laughs> tweeting out today. Bearcats like scrolling to the bottom of um, God. What was what was his name? Because this was probably just one of the best. I'm trying to scroll through Justin Williams tweets right now, and man, tweets a lot. Well, um, everybody does. I would. Either I would way, go... long story short, the guy's going through basically saying like, you know, making making the case for Maryland basketball that it's surprising for, for someone that's program story them not to have a dedicated practice facility, not to have this, how it's not going to be a detriment to finding a new coach, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he, his like parting shot was if I were them, I'd go and look at West Miller and I'd hire West Miller. And I'm like, you guys are looking at Maryland and you're thinking Maryland's a better job than university of Cincinnati. Are you crazy? Yeah. Let me let me read the exact tweet because it's not just Wes Miller he throws in there. It's it's a work of art. Again, 
And this is from <laughs> this is from Brendan Quinn at BF Quinn. He says again, not who I think they will hire, but who I'd hire. I'm going after Kelvin Sampson. Don't care that he's old. He'll win. My younger option? I'm making Wes Miller tell me no. Buyout at Cincy is only three million, and his salary is one point two. Chump change. UMD makes sense for him. Brendan. 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 Kelvin Sampson. Can you like you know how we're feeling right now about him mentioning Wes Miller, and we're kind of like, really? Has Wes? You know, Wes. In my mind, Wes Miller still got to do things to like you know earn that type of consideration. And I've been kind of scoffing at, at the idea that I need to pay attention to, to uh, Mr. Davis down at North Carolina. I'm not worried about that at all. I need, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen still for Wes Miller to just be automatically taken by North Carolina, but to also be speculating that they could just go and, you know, cherry pick Kelvin Sampson off a Houston team that is just pipelining five-star recruits at this point, moving to the big 12 in a couple of years, the dude has created an absolute juggernaut down, down there. Not to mention the fact that he also has created a situation where his son is essentially the, the coach in waiting. It's, it's a, it's a family dynasty at this point. I think people discount how hard it is to, to build programs and then lead the go do it again. Right. You get something established with like Calvin Sampson has in Houston and you know, that's incredibly hard to replicate that success immediately somewhere else. You know, you don't have your, you're not necessarily pulling from the same recruits. You're not, I mean, he mentions the Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia recruiting bed. I'm not going to deny East Coast, East Coast hoops recruiting. I'm not going to deny it's great. Deny it's great. But if you don't go in there and already have the, the established connections that that's where you're going to go and pull from, you're not necessarily going to be successful from day one. I just think it's like, it's, and then you're just going to come in and want to immediately pull out the, the West Miller. I think you're right. West still has some things to prove. That's why we were able to get him at such a relatively low salary, if you would, you know, but I don't think that, I think that's going to change. We're going to be going into a bigger conference. And frankly, this program is just, it's set up. It, I don't know. I'm not really too worried about it. I just thought it was funny that he points that out. If I were worried about anything and I'm still not, it's more about Louisville parting way with Chris Mack. But I also not worry because Wes Miller's only been here a year and I don't see him jumping ship after a year. I, uh, I, it's, no. That's not a good look on any coach. Nah, we're built. I'm, I'm, I'm too, I'm too calloused at this point to be scared of Wes Miller being poached right now. I there's, I'm not, I don't think there's any delusion either. We've just been through Luke fickle for multiple years in a row being pursued and courted and rumored to every big time football program in college football. We also have heard him rumored and tied to NFL football teams. You're telling me we go through that multiple years of being tortured and we haven't and, even gotten there yet. We haven't even started talking about the saints yet and, <laughs> and nipples, why he's not going there. <laughs> our nipples twisted and T you know, we're, we're just being tortured constantly about the idea of Luke fickle leaving for bigger pastures or greener pastures. And that's, that has not happened. And, and now I'm supposed to worry about Maryland. Come on, man. Come on, man. I'm just, I'm not worried about it. He, he, he's only been here a year. It's not a good look if you pack up after a year. I don't see him doing it. And like Maryland guys, to me is just not exciting. Good... Maryland's not exciting anymore right now. Hang on, guys. He's doing a good job at Cincinnati so far. We're 14 and six. Okay. Yeah. Like this is he 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 was a hot commodity at Greensboro after 10 years of winning. 
and and took this opportunity at Cincinnati. Let's he's going to cook here for a bit. All right. He's going to do some growing. He's going to improve as a coach. Things are going to go great. I feel very, very confident about how things he's are going to learn his. He's going to learn but some lessons along can, the way. Can we pump go, the he's kill it? Can we pump the brakes on panicking? About our I don't think I think I think we're panicking. I don't think anybody else. Nobody's panicking. panicking. Nobody's panicking. It's it's this Quinn guy who's <laughs> who's panicking and and throwing this this erroneous <laughs> charges against the wall here. That this is who they should go and get. You're not but, going nowhere. <laughs> you're going nowhere, son. Got you for four years. Four <laughs> years of playtime. And I like I like the Saint the Saints one. Uh, that one makes me laugh because there's no way. That that is probably the least attractive job in the NFL right now outside of Jacksonville. Jacksonville is probably more exciting than New Orleans is right now. No quarterback, $70 million over the cap, no room to do anything. That franchise is going to suck for the next five years. Shame on you, Joe. Shame on you, Joe Barnett, for getting Hubbard to mention calling, this. calling you out, Joe, getting people riled up, stirring the pot. <laughs> I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. Not today. Not after all we have been through these emotional roller coasters of is Luke Fickle going to go here? Not today. Is there anything else we need to get off our chest? This was a bit of a therapy session. I'm, I'm, I'm counting it. You know, this was, this was definitely. Can we laugh at Chris Mack? Unhinged. Can we at least oh. laugh? Can we oh. joke about, like, laugh and joke about Chris Mack? Oh, Chris Mack. <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't just skip over the fact that yeah, they're negotiating his final stages of separation. So notice that him and Brandon were best friends, though, right? The guy, like, snitched, they, the guy snitched his friend out to the fucking FBI. And he's getting fired less than a year later. Good, good on you, buddy. Prove yourself to be one of the worst friends in the history of mankind. And the following year, you're getting fired anyway because your team is trash. Because you're a bad coach. God, this feels good. I just think that you know what? To me, it sounds like there needs to be some sort of investigation into the the dealings of the Savior Basketball Program because you know you just don't end being corrupt, right? You don't just one day decide, you know what? I'm I'm going to be corrupt. You're always corrupt. Uh, so I'm just going to put it out there. There's no way Chris Mack was doing what he was doing at Xavier without being corrupt. Otherwise, <laughs> it'd still be happening. It'd still be happening. <laughs> what Hummer's trying to tell you, Xavier fans, is that the whole thing is a sham and that nothing was real. It's all it's a house of cards ready to cave in on itself. And if you had any integrity, there would be oversight from your university and, and self-reporting happening about everything that you've done under the table this past decade and a half so shame on you shame on chris mack uh but it's been a hell of a year for people who you know don't like sean miller don't like chris mack it's it's been a good year for us that that's what i'm saying there's a history there of these coaches and when, and when you go back to that fbi stuff we're gonna we're gonna draw the triangle here we're gonna go down the uh the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories no, the holy trinity of coach firings at the <laughs> <laughs> on the on the lower corner Sean Miller on the right corner, uh, Chris Mack. And at the point at the, at the spear at the top of the triangle, John Brandon, <laughs> the Holy Trinity of coach firings. If I remember correctly, they did mention in the, in the FBI papers with the whole Adidas thing, there was like a, a tiny, tiny little connection that people thought it may have been Chris Mack listed in there, but they just, it all got glanced over. 
you know, as like a minor, a minor thing. So just, just do some digging. All right. You know, just, just read the tea leaves. And I'll admit, I haven't done much reading on exactly what's going on at Louisville. I just saw that Chris Mack was his radio show got canceled and the, the board was meeting and that he's getting fired. And that was good enough for me. I just, you know, had a sip of uh, mezcal and moved on with my night. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I just don't like Chris Mack. Uh, I guess it once once you have the Xavier stink on you, you always have the Xavier stink on you. It's true. It just ne- never goes away. It's true. It's very true. Well, I feel better now. I feel a little better after <laughs> after uh, commemorating the firings of three of my least favorite human beings in college basketball. Hummer, I will let me let me leave with this. I don't want people feeling negative about the basketball team. It's a very tough loss. It's a painful loss. It's a loss that shouldn't have happened. This this game should have been won. These are the normal growing pains we're going to go through in West Miller's first year with a team that just simply doesn't have enough scoring punch on it yet. Those scoring punches are, punches are coming. The talent is coming. You already see it with a Daniel Skillings and a Josh Reed and the type of profile they're bringing to the program. That said, all is not lost for the season because based on what we saw during from the SMU to Tulsa stretch, in my mind, we have enough of a sample size there and flashes of what this team can do well at its best to know that this team can win enough games against the, the seller dwellers of the American Athletic Conference and still be frisky in, in games against big names like Memphis and actual good teams like Houston to, to stay in play. This isn't, this was. It wasn't a must win. You cannot call a game this time of year a must win with a team that is now 14 and six and can still easily play their way to 22 to 23 wins. And that doesn't even include the conference tournament. Is it less likely than it was yesterday? Yes. When, when, do, when, do, games, when do games get must win? You have to wait till at least mid-February? Is that, is that it? Mid-February? Is that no. when? Games games become must-win when we finish the regular season. If we finish the regular season at like 17 and 14 and we're heading into conference tournament play, every one of those games becomes must-win. So you, you have the literal definition of must-win, meaning do or literally. die, go home. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about college basketball. <laughs> There's always a chance. Wes Miller, get this team peaking by March 3rd. If you do that, this team could play its way into the tournament. Well, you know, I, I, I want to save this hot take for maybe another day, but this is something we've talked about off air. If we want to leave excited about the Bearcats with West in regards to West Miller, like we know this isn't the best that, that we're going to get. This isn't going to be the best team West Miller's ever going to have. He hasn't had a chance to actually recruit to the university of Cincinnati. He hasn't gone through a full recruiting cycle, recruiting to, our campus, our culture, our, 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 our way of life. And he's now going to have the ability to do that. And he's going to start bringing in, you just mentioned it, skillings read, but we're going to, we're going to go even bigger than that. I, I have a feeling we're going to see Wes Miller bring some five-star kids to here. That's kind of the name that he brings with him. That's the reputation that he's, he's brought with him in terms of being the, you know, the, one of the best young coaches in the game that should have been on everybody's list. And everybody was talking all the media for, for, you know, for what it's worth, you know, was saying this was a great hire by Cincinnati. This was, this was a steal for Cincinnati, I think is what some people were, were positioning us at. So I'm not worried about it. It's going to be good. Put, yeah. Put a, tonight put stung. A, 
put a year on that prediction. You're saying five stars are going to be coming to Cincinnati. When does Wes Miller get his first five-star recruit? Not next year. Not, not, this year. So not 22. We're, call, we're shutting that one down, given the COVID extra years and the fact that we already have three freshmen. 23? Chad Dollar? Let's do it. 23. We're going to win fast, baby. He's, this, could be, this is going to be fast. This, this, this program isn't that far out of the minds of kids from being good. It's not like we've been bad for 10 years and all of a sudden kids growing up don't remember watching the University of Cincinnati in the tournament. We're not that far removed from it. So I'm not, I'm not worried about having to rebuild a brand the way you, know, you would have if, if we would have just been absolutely in the shithole for the last few years. I don't think we know what the hell kids are thinking about when they're thinking about where, which school to go to. The, know, the rules have completely changed. The game has changed. And there's so much more that goes into these decisions well, and through the minds of an 18, 16, 17-year-old kid than we'll ever understand, sir. Okay? I don't get TikTok. I never will. I don't understand <laughs> Jackson Mahomes. And uh, uh, more importantly, it's, it's distressing. More importantly, his fiance. Is his fiance the worst person in the history Oh, not stop. In the world? She just popped champagne. champagne. On people who don't want champagne sprayed on them. You know what? Actually, what am I talking about? I love it. I'm here for it. I'm the first person who would also do that. In fact, I did do it. I've done it. I sprayed champagne, two bottles of champagne on a houseboat to everybody playing cards and ruined it all. I'm here for it. You spray that champagne. I'm going to spray champagne, 15 bottles of it. Swear to God, if the Bengals win next Sunday. I am much less offended my sensibilities are much less offended by Pat Mahomes' wife than they are by whatever Jackson Mahomes is doing on TikTok. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. I won't Have a good get one, it, buddy. and I don't understand it. Cheers, buddy. Go Bearcats.